0: Couple things to note. Uh, you can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, first is a uh, quick announcement about the land. Uh, you'll see in the Bolton we have scheduled a quick little vote on whatever two weeks from today is. Twelfth. Thank you. On the twelfth at ten fifteen. Now a few details on that. I think mostly positive. We got through the city zoning and planning, and we got through the city council. Uh, there were some changes that needed to be made. Uh, specifically with the the, the, the drainage and retention area there. So the developer lost about three lots. And so in order to keep the deal together, we had to reduce the price to $540,000. Uh, but we're still very excited, all the leadership on board for this deal. We've crossed all the hurdles that we need to cross, and he's ready to close. So we're going to close on November 3rd. And I know from from speaking to most of the leadership, our, our goal is basically – you know, I think we want to pay down the debt on this place. So that, that's kind of uh, our number one priority on that. But there will be a vote uh, on the 12th just uh, for that new price of $540,000. So uh, next, I want to bring up Lucas, Lucas Richard, Lucas, you here somewhere? Lucas, come on up here. Lucas, and uh, you guys are in town for two days. So we just wanted Lucas, uh, not very long. We wanted Lucas just to share a little bit about what, uh, what God has been doing.
1: Thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks for the opportunity. It's uh, it's great for us to be back here. Um, it's kind of unreal. I mean, the last time we were here, you know, we, we were getting married. Uh, you know, I was driving off, and uh, yeah. Anyway, um, it's great to be back. It's unreal, and, and we're happy to be back. It's great to see everybody. Um, we thank you for praying. Um, we had an amazing summer. It's it went by extremely fast. Uh, we got back to Dublin on on June 6th, and uh, just a, a few days later, we had the first of our team members that came in and throughout the summer we had over 70 people that came to uh, to Ireland to work with us. Uh, We had a Teen Mission International team that came it's about 26 uh, uh, teenagers and four leaders Uh, they came, they pitched their tents in our backyard and uh, they helped us out in practical work and they even joined us in doing some evangelism, they did street evangelism with some of our workers, they helped us in a VBS, Awana program and uh, it was just a great time working with those kids. Uh, We had a one incident where a few of the kids had snuck out and uh, got in trouble and uh, the Lord provided opportunity for me to be able to spend time with them and counsel them, and it was great to watch the, the Lord bring them to repentance and work in their lives. So it was, it was an awesome time. Uh, we also had a team that came from Kansas. They came to help us specifically to do a children's outreach. And so uh, we worked in, in a, a community called the Eastwall area. East Wall, area. Uh, East Wall is, a, uh, is a poor immigrant community in Dublin, not too far from our local church. And so uh, we went out, we blanketed the area with invitations, we rented out a, um, a community center in the area, and we held a week-long, um, um, uh, basically an Awana program. It was, it was kind of a VBS, but uh, we adopted the Awana style, uh, and uh, we did the Awana games and so on, and we worked with the kids, and it was great. We watched the Lord take a small group of kids and over, the, over a few days, build them up, uh, friends bringing friends. And uh, we had opportunity to share the gospel with them, work with them, and also build kind of relationships, kind of uh, get into the community in that way and getting to know some of the the kids and their parents. Uh, It was great. At the end, one of the parents, a Catholic lady, um, who had stayed through the whole week, she insisted when she came that she had to stay with her kids, like uh, through the Bible time, the memorization time, uh, the games and everything, because she wanted to make sure that we weren't teaching them some heresy. And uh, so this Catholic lady got to hear the gospel throughout the whole thing. And at the end, she came up to one of the elders and then to me and said, um, is there any way you guys can do something like this more often? She said, I would love for my kids to have something in this area that, that they can do and learn about God. This coming from an unsaved Catholic lady. And I was like, Lord, that's such a confirmation. And so uh, we're praying about, and you can pray with us, about starting an ongoing Awana program in the same place with the same uh, kind of uh, startup group of kids. And... Um, uh, we, we're planning tentatively to start up in the third week of November after we get back to Ireland. But you can pray with us because uh, at the moment, the only thing holding us back um, are workers. Uh, we don't have enough leaders. And uh, we, we, we need two people, and at the moment, I have three people praying about it. So uh, pray that the Lord won't let these people sleep. Uh, maybe he'll keep them up at night until they, they decide to do it, and, uh, if that's his will. But uh, pray with us about it. After the AWANA program, uh, or after the, the VBS program, excuse me, we, uh, we had a team that came in from Germany and Austria, uh, this team came to help us in evangelism, they blanketed some 10,000 doors, uh, we gave them 10,000 tracks and they passed out most of them, and uh, we got to do door to door work, street evangelism with them, and uh, it was great, we've actually been recently getting in Emmaus cards, we, we give out offers for Emmaus, free Emmaus courses, and we've been getting them back from that outreach, and so we, we thank the Lord for that. And it was a good opportunity to, uh, to kind of bridge gaps in the community and meet people and, uh, and get out the word of God. Um, after the, conf- or, sorry, after the, uh, the team left, uh, we headed to France and Switzerland. Uh, we had a uh, Christian workers conference, missionaries from around Europe that come together. We got to spend a week with them just kind of uh, just enjoying fellowship, teaching in the word, and uh, it was a good time. And so, uh, anyway, it was a great summer. We appreciate you guys praying. Please keep praying for us. Uh, we're going to be in the states for about a month. Uh, we have 15 different meetings in uh, several different states that Lois and I will be taking. And, uh, of course, we have the Ireland Outreach Conference happening in a couple weeks. So please pray with us about that. And we, just, uh, we thank you guys for being supportive and praying.
2: Thanks, Lucas. We're going to take communion right now, and I was just going to share a thought that kind of stuck with me last week when Kyle was speaking. When he said, I don't know, I'm not going to say it the right way. I don't know where he is. He's back there. Okay, I'm not going to say the same thing as him, but when he was talking about we can even take the people we love and make them an idol over God, I had to stop and think about that because those aren't bad things. Obviously, we're supposed to love. Uh, as, as best we can, those people in our lives. But I had to think about my own life, that there's, there's people in my life that I could put my time and energy and attention into showing them my love and not be giving near enough to the one who created them, the one who gave them to me. And that's something that I want us to think about this morning as we're getting ready to take communion. This creator who, who gave us everything good in our own lives, These things that we are so excited about spending our days with, and it may not just be the people we love, the things we love, uh, our activities, our jobs, all these things. We spend so much time praising and spending time with all these other things and not praising the creator of all these things. And so how could we not want to turn around and spend our time with that Savior, spend our time remembering him, the one who gave us, and not only gave us those things, then gives us eternity with him. And that's what we're remembering this morning. As we come here with the craziness of our lives and this week and our hurts and our pains and our insecurities, and we are able to stop and look at these symbols of a body broken for us and blood that was shed for us, that really happened. And so we stop this morning and we remember that. So now as we sing these songs and we look at the cross and we take the bread and the cup, we start praising the creator of everything that's good in our lives and we praise the one that gives us eternity and that's what we're going to do this morning.
3: for your mercy we love you and we need you so much we're thankful that you choose to use imperfect people and um, God that's all of us in this room you choose to use us you want to use us you desire to be with us and that just blows my mind and so I pray that you would just give peace to the broken this morning and hurting hearts Um, God that you would encourage people in joy this morning Um, thank you that you want relationship with us. We are desperate for you. We long for you with every breath that we take. Jesus, we thank you for your death for us. Ultimate love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Um, I was reminded last night of the fact that God uses imperfect people. Uh, because... Um, I mean, Satan would do it this way, that the, the, the night before I preach, um, I got the most angry I've ever gotten at my kids, and um, it was dumb, because it was something else that triggered that in me, and um, I mean, I got to the point where it was like, man, I, how, do I, how do I preach tomorrow? Um not that I wasn't in the right frame of mind to necessarily give the information on the piece of paper, but I really felt this feeling of like, why would God use me right now? Um, and then he used my wife in such a gracious way. She prayed over me. Um, she laid hands on me. And, um, and just through her, it was an incredible um, just grace of Christ. And uh because I was angry with our kids, with her kids, and she saw that in me. Um and God just totally used her to just calm me down and to, to bring me to a place where it was like, you know what? That's that's it. God wants to use imperfect people who still mess up, and um and so that's how I come to you today. Um, just with humility and uh the message this morning is going to be called Run by Way of Love. Okay, It's all about temptation. So I've, all, I've already like had to enlist a ton of people to pray for me this week, and I'm sitting down because I'm already sweating about it. Because um, it's going to be a fun one. But with the rise of technological devices, um, our access to temptation in the physical realm is sky high. Our, really, our access to temptation... Things that tempt us in every area of life goes sky high with our phones, with our devices, with technology, with media, with ads, all of that stuff. Um, it's just through the roof. Today we're going to talk specifically about physical temptation, intimacy, and sexuality. And so you're either, everybody in the room, especially if you're new, you're either really excited or freaked out. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that's okay. Okay. Um, I want you to watch this video real quick, and as you watch it, um, the this is what I pray about and desire the culture of Creekside Church to be, um, and you'll see what I mean with honesty and accountability. Um, go ahead and watch this. Watch this video.
4: As I was growing up, I began to get involved with pornography, being in a computer, watching pornography, and and uh, having all this lust in front of me was the way out of when I felt sad or when I felt upset or when I felt like I just had to get away from my problems. This is what I found the relief in until somebody invited me to church one day. After somebody invited me to church one day, I decided to come and it was pretty fun. They were a good church, they were a fun church, they were a church that got the point across I realized that God wanted a lot more from me. Eventually I came to the acknowledgement that that's what I needed, and I accepted that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior and that I needed Him. There was still that struggle in my life, and because I never decided to deal with it, I had a hard time even thinking of myself as anybody who related to Christ or had something to do with God. You know, being really involved with pornography to the point where I was now addicted, I was having some serious problems figuring out who I was and I couldn't relate to people at church. I felt as if everything that I was trying to live out and the Bible, you know, that word I kept reading was never ever become effective in my life. And I just felt like basically the fakest Christian ever. It was kind of a a big pride issue for me to realize that I needed help from others and not just from Jesus Christ, but from those people in that church that I found. And it was hard, it was hard looking at my friends around me knowing that if they only knew what I was really doing, perhaps they wouldn't really be the awesome Christian friends that they were to me. I would sit there and I would think if they only knew how I feel inside, you know, if they only knew how messed up I feel about myself, if they only knew what I see when I look in the mirror and I don't see a Christian, I don't see somebody who's in love with God. If they only knew, um, how I felt and how I looked at myself because I was so covered in sin and I was so covered in in mistakes that um, I didn't feel genuine after all. I didn't feel genuine and I didn't feel that God would actually, and it's a scary thought, but that he would even allow me to be with him in heaven for the rest of eternity. And so I had to trust God at one point that um, that there would be somebody out there that wasn't going to judge me or that there would at least be somebody out there and as hard as they thought this thought was for me at the time, that somebody was out there who had actually been through this, that had actually struggled with pornography the way I had and been addicted at one point the way I had. It was hard, but eventually I let somebody know. I let somebody know that I had this problem. I let somebody know that, that even though I accepted Jesus Christ, I was still struggling with pornography and that I was still having a problem with, uh, with letting go of it and those people around me just showed me love, just demonstrated love. They, they spent time with me just to make sure that I knew that, that they loved me. And all this was all helping me become that person who loved God and learned to love others. And the change that happened slowly but surely was just amazing because I can trust him and I learned to trust people that know him. And just confessing my sin and being accountable to people like that made the huge difference between coming from somebody addicted to pornography to coming to somebody who is in love with God.
3: That's really powerful because I just want to acknowledge a few things. That you might be in this room today and either have struggled with that in the past or are struggling with it right now. Um, Any area of temptation. But there's pain involved. And so you may be sitting here with just the pain of what you've done or what somebody's done to you. Um, You may be sitting here and currently be going through it. Or you know somebody who is going through it and your heart breaks for them. Or you're going to go through it. You're going to be tempted in these ways. If you are in the room and you're breathing in some way, whether you know it or not, you have been exposed to physical um, sexual temptation in some way. Um, whether it's by, your, by the internet, um, by ads, by whatever. You have been affected by it. Your world has been affected by it, is being affected by it, or will be affected by it in some way. But at Creekside, we want to be committed to fight for each other. We, we are committed to fight for healthy love. We're committed to fight for healthy relationships, to fight for healthy marriages, and to fight for healthy sexuality across the board, whether you're married or not. And I fear, my fear, is that based on fear, we've spent so much time telling our kids and telling the generations behind us, or even telling our peers, telling the people around us, don't, 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 don't. Don't have sex before you're married. Don't do this with that guy or girl. Don't look at this stuff. Don't do don't, 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 don't. And we spell out all the consequences for all of that stuff because if anything, we need to make sure that our bases are covered and that our kids know that that stuff's wrong. Right? But my question, if I was one of my kids, or if I was unchurched, or if I just didn't know, is why? Why is, why is seeking my own pleasure in that way wrong? Why is it bad? Why will it destroy me? How will it destroy me? How will it destroy the people around me? Why does that matter? And so we need to show and tell and talk to our kids about the positive sides of why God created sexual intimacy. Okay, we've got to talk about the fact that God created it to be enjoyed. It's a great thing to be enjoyed in one context, the context of marriage. And if we could focus on the positive sides of that, then our kids won't go into marriage having done what we've wanted if they go into marriage without having failed in that way before they're married. But my fear is that they'll go into marriage feeling like everything that has to do with sex is associated with the negative part of their brain, right? And so then when they go into marriage, they still have a hard time because they still feel guilty. And so I want to kind of try to help us paint that picture. And this has been a a huge week for me. Just trying to work through this. And our methods here need to be from love, support, openness, honesty, forgiveness, and to seek healing in these places where we've been damaged or where our kids have been damaged or where we're afraid that they may be damaged. And the last thing I want to acknowledge is that Satan fights dirty. He doesn't care about you. The Bible says that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's what he cares about. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your kids. He cares about destroying you. So go ahead and turn to Proverbs 5. And as you turn there, um, just want to acknowledge that Proverbs was written a long time ago. Okay? Before Christ even came on the scene. And so the area of sexual temptation has been around for a long time. Okay? It's been around forever. It's not a new thing to us. But it is... Uh, it, it, the areas that we can be tempted in Or the avenues in which we can be tempted in Have gone sky high with the rise of technology Right? It's everywhere I mean it's on billboards It's in uh, on the internet when you're not even looking for it It's in ads that you're not That you shouldn't have seen And it's only a trigger away From tempting you into your own evil desires And so yeah, it's important to take steps with technology to walk away from it, to run from it, okay? But there is a deeper issue in our hearts and in our lives and the war that, fight in this, that, that Satan is fighting against us. There's a deeper issue than just technology. So I can't talk about this issue by just looking at the, the areas of technology that affect us in our lives. We know they affect us. And so I want to go after our heart issue. So just listen as I read Proverbs 5 to you. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion, and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your strength to others and your years to the one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan, when your flesh and body are spent, you will say how I hated discipline. How my heart spurned correction. I will not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. Instructors, I have come to drink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in public squares, let them be yours alone. Never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may, your, may, your wife, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by any adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline. Led astray by his own great folly. I just want to lay out for you first a few warnings that come from this. In verse 3, it says, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Here's the thing. Temptation comes in well-packaged pleasureful ways it is hard to resist it's hard it always looks good because Satan is not all knowing and Satan is not everywhere at the same time like God is but Satan's been around for a long time and he's smart if you know, if do you know that he studies you he watches your your every move His demons are everywhere. And that's a scary thought, but it's a sobering thought. He knows you. He knows what makes you tick. And he knows how to get to your areas of temptation. Over in chapter 7, verse 19, it says, My husband is not at home. This is like temptation talking to us. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse full of money and will not come Home till full moon. With persuasive words, she leads him astray, and she seduced him with her smooth talk. It also says to us that hey, look look at how pleasurable this is. Look at how sweet this is, and you'll never get caught. No one will ever know. There are ways that you can do this that no one's ever gonna know. Verse four, chapter five, verse four. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. In the end, all of it leads to dire consequences. All of our action based on our temptations leads to dire consequences. And temptation doesn't care about you. It's not thinking about your heart. Satan is not thinking about your heart. He's only thinking about how to destroy you. He seeks to destroy us. In verse 9, it says, Lest you give your best strength to others and your years to the one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your, on your wealth and your, and your toil and enrich another man's house. At the end of your life you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I will not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors, instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Do not hate instruction. Do not hate discipline or accountability or teaching. Seek these things. Seek them. Here's a few quick stats that come from one survey. Okay, this is just one survey, so the information in this is not going to necessarily be 100% accurate, but the fact that one survey said this is pretty staggering. Okay, Just listen. 50% of pastors believe that pornography is the number one problem bringing their people down. 90% of boys and 70% of girls will be exposed to pornography in their lifetime. I want to read a... Part of an article to you that my mom sent to me um, as I told her what I was preaching on this week. Um, it's by Justin Davis, says this I had spent my adult life living in shame because of porn. When I confessed my addiction, I was the father of three sons who were nine, six, and two. Through counseling and an intensive program, I began, began to find healing and freedom, but I was worried for my boy's future. Access to pornography is easy and often unintentional. Should I get rid of our computers and our television? Fear is natural, but eliminating televisions and computers won't guarantee protection from porn. You and I can live with confidence, however, if we educate ourselves on how to guide our boys and girls. This is not just a boy's problem. 70% of girls will be exposed to it. If we educate ourselves on how to guide our children through a world filled with sensual imagery. And here's some uh, tips that he gives. Have conversations often is number one. Number two, share your own struggles. Your openness will help your kids recognize that you're approachable. Initially, I thought this might be a mistake, but my sons respected my transparency. See, that's hard, and you have to use wisdom in how much you share, how fast you share. But we need to talk about it, and we need to be approachable by our kids. Number three is be an ally. Your kids need to know you're fighting for them, not trying to catch them doing something wrong. Part of this may be safeguarding your electronics with parental controls, and it may even be doing it for yourself, safeguarding it for yourself, monitoring their internet use. As you explain that you want this for yourself too, you earn cred- credibility. Number four, give grace freely, often trust slowly. And this is kind of the culture that I want to see here offer grace quickly. And trust slowly. And that's, this is what that means. If your kid admits a mistake, often grace offer grace without conditions. Then communicate the process of re- regaining trust. Maybe that means no electronics after 8 p.m. Or a weekly review of browser history. This isn't to punish him, but to give him a path back to regaining trust. We can forgive his choices without enabling them. And here's the, here's the crux of the matter. Porn is, in, is only a losing battle, and I'll say that for all temptation. Any temptation that you might be feeling or, or uh, folding under is a losing battle if we keep it hidden, if we keep it hidden. As you empower your kids to confess their sins to you, you bring to your home the freedom found in the love and grace of Jesus. And then there's this, 50% of pastors in ministry admit to struggling with pornography. That right there is a huge warning to me, to all of our leaders, and to everyone in the room. Because if you're sitting here this morning, me, all your leaders, everyone that you could ever hold in high esteem, no one is above folding under the temptation of sexual sin. And no one is above folding under the temptation of anything. No one's above it. I think as soon as you think that you're above it, Satan knows that. And remember, he fights dirty. 71% of kids say that they are hiding internet activity from their parents. 50, in 56% of divorces, a major reason is that one of the spouses was regularly looking at inappropriate contact, co- content online. Here's the question. When, where, and how does that all start? It's only a spark. It's only something that you didn't want to see. It's only something that you ran across on accident. And what, so what do we do? What do we do? Look at verse 8. Keep ...to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Don't play with fire. Don't take the path near her house. I mean run, 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 run. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But You know what? That's what scripture says. But sometimes you have to resist over and over and over again... ...before Satan decides. Okay guys... That person ain't worth our time anymore. Because they're soaking themselves, they're filling themselves with Jesus. Jesus and the Spirit are so powerful in that person, they're not worth our time anymore. Resist, 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 resist. But that's way more, way more easily said than done. Bob Vaughn is one of the wisest new people I've met within the past year. And he was in my uh, office a few weeks ago, and he just gave me this simple piece of advice. You know what? I don't visit any site that, would, that I would be ashamed of if anyone I knew ever saw it. That's a good rule of thumb. It helps us to run. There was just last week after church, there was a couple sitting in my office. One comes from Minnesota, and one comes from um, Lincoln, and they meet in Des Moines, and we've been doing some marriage counseling together. And... Um, And so last week we were talking about sexual intimacy and I just told them, if ever either of you is ever tempted to a point where you um, begin to feel it, to feel the pull of it toward the opposite sex, whether it's physical or whether it's emotional, it doesn't matter. Emotional temptation can be just as strong as physical and just as damaging. If ever you feel that, the first thing you have to do is tell somebody. You have got to create guardrails in your life. Where do guardrails go? I learned this from Andy Stanley. Where do guardrails go? They don't go in the danger zone. They go on the safe part of the road. If they took away the guardrail, you could drive on that part of the road, right? Right? But they put a guardrail there so that you don't go into the danger zone. So, we have got to create guardrails in our lives that when we hit them, we know danger is right on the other side of this. People, the people sitting in this room are guardrails for you. We've got to give ourselves guardrails. You've got to tell somebody. And you know what? That is humiliating, but it's healing. James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's powerful. You know, what? I pray on a daily basis, and Heather and I often pray together this. That as we meet with people and as we hear the struggles that people are going through, we often pray, God, I pray that we would never be shocked by anything. You know why? I have to tell myself that because scripture also says that as you, and this is a paraphrase, but as you hear the stuff that people are going through, pray and be careful that you yourself don't get pulled into that temptation. And so I've got to pray, God, I can't be shocked by anything because I know that even for myself, I'm not above that. It could happen like that. I'm, pu- I'm enticed and pulled away into my selfish desires. And one bad choice destroys my family, destroys my ministry. That's a potent thought. That's huge. That's scary. And I need you. And you need the person sitting next to you. And you need me. And we need each other. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. You see, we we do talk a lot about the negative sides and the destructive side of giving in to sexual temptation. But you know what? God created it to be such a beautiful thing. God created it to be a pleasurable thing. God actually created the weight and the pursuit of someone that you could spend the rest of your life with and enjoy sex within marriage, he created that. Really, it's a picture of our relationship with him. We are on earth now, and someday we're going to be in heaven with him. But while we're on earth, we desire and we pursue God. And the weight and the knowing that someday we will be in his presence is filled with good things because someday we will have it. And so I just want to say something to single people in the room. If you're single, I can't promise you that you're ever going to get married. And I've thought about that before. If I was single and I never got married, could I handle that? There's grace for that and I pray all the time that for single people that never get married, I pray, and this is hard, this is hard, I pray that, that God gives you grace enough to be fulfilled in Him, to be fulfilled in the pursuit of a relationship with Jesus. Because you may never, you may never get to that what you get to do in marriage. And you're probably thinking, that stinks. That's just a hard thought. But my prayer is that God would fulfill you and use you in ways that you never, ever would have thought. I mean, it's like any area. Satan likes to take things that God has made for good and turn them around and twist them into things that we abuse and they have totally opposite consequences than what they were created for. So I'm here to say that let, let's turn that around for our kids. Let's turn that around for each other. Let's think about why God created physical intimacy to, be ha- to happen inside of marriage. It's an awesome thing, and we want, we want that joy. Turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 Verse 8, I just want to read this to you. Remember, our title is Run by Way of Love. It's on the screen too, so. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because, of your, because our salvation is nearer now than, than we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. As in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The, the first, when Jesus asks, what's the greatest commandment? He says, the first and the second are like each other, but the first is love God it's a paraphrase. Love God. The second is love people. If we could ask in every single situation when temptation draws us in, okay? We want to run, right? But it's not so easy. I can't just run from my computer. It's still there. It's still a temptation. It's still drawing me in. I can't just run from these things. It's hard to just do that. And so how do we run? By way of love. If we can ask... In every interaction we have, even in the pictures we see online, or the person that is drawing us in that we know that we're spending too much time with, if we can ask this question, what in this relationship does love require of me? With all people, my prayer is that the answer to that question would cause us to turn around and run in the opposite direction of temptation. Because what does scripture say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. We have the flesh and the spirit. Which one are we feeding? What are we filling our hearts with? What desires are we running after? Quick turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We're almost done. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13. 13, verse 4. This is the description of love. So what does love require of me? Here it is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. And then it says all these other things. You could have all these other things, but without love you're nothing. And then it goes down to verse 13 and it says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love most important? Because if we are pursuing love in Jesus Christ for the people around us, then we will not bring harm to ourselves. We will not bring harm to our spouses. We will not bring harm to the people that we are running for, running after. We will not bring harm to the person that we've made an object on the TV screen because somehow through Jesus Christ we can love these people. We can pursue love and we can be filled with the love of Jesus Christ because of his death on the cross. I want to read a quote that Alan sent to me from Thomas Commerce. You're going to talk about this a little bit in your small groups this week. Listen to this. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the explosive power of a new one. It is only when through faith in Jesus Christ, as we are received as God's children, that the spirit of adoption is poured out on us. And the heart brought under the mastery of one great and predominant affection is delivered from the tyranny of its former desires. That is the only way that deliverance is possible. What are you filling yourself with? What are you spending your time? What are you feeding? Are you feeding your flesh? Or are you feeding love and the spirit that God has given you? His own spirit inside of you if you have Jesus as your Savior. Because he hasn't left us alone. Because this is one of the hardest things to overcome. But Jesus has overcome the world. If we are pursuing love, if we are pursuing a relationship, the overwhelming power of this new desire, Jesus, fills my life so that there's not room for anything else. What am I feeding? That Romans verse says, put on the armor of light, and I think this is so cool. Look at this. Proverbs 5, 4 says, in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as any double-edged sword. Hebrews 4, 12 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. When Jesus was tempted... In the desert, Tim, you guys can come back up. When Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan, what was his way out? He quoted scripture. He knew what his father had already said on those subjects. This is part of pursuing love. This is part of pursuing such a fulfilling relationship with Jesus Christ that all the other stuff fades away. Know scripture, know what God has said to us. I want to read this to you in closing. Hebrews 4 14 through 16 says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For do we, not, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Often when I think about Jesus, I mean it doesn't ever give an account, I don't think, of when he was tempted sexually. But what does this say? It says that he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And because he was that, he could go to the cross, shed his blood, and die for us so that we could what? Now, as you sit here, no matter what pain is in your life, or no matter what pain you feel for other people that are suffering from this, Grace is glorious. There is no sin bigger than the cross of Jesus Christ. So now we can be confident in the presence of an almighty God because of the grace laid out for us in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? I mean, there is healing. There is healing for this. There is no shame as you sit in your seat. There is no shame. And the person sitting next to you, Who is not jiving, that's the first word that popped into my head, with what I'm saying. They aren't above this either. They're not. So don't sit there in shame, sit there in forgiveness and grace. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ... As we sing these next few songs, today is the day of salvation. There is healing in the name of Jesus, in the blood shed for you on the cross. There is healing from shame, from guilt, from sin, from the consequences of it, from all of it. So come confidently into his presence now and seek healing. Real quick, if you are struggling with this, you've got to talk to somebody. There is no shame here. And I pray that for whoever you talk to, they will not be shocked. And so real quick, Chris is going to put my email on the screen. Sometimes email is just easier. And so there's one avenue. If you don't got anybody to talk to, email me about it. Or find somebody that you trust to open up to because there is healing in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I just pray that as we worship now, God, even as the offering comes around and as we give back to you, we understand that everything that we have, from our physical possessions to the grace and the blessings given to us through Jesus Christ, it all comes from you. So I pray that as we give back to you now, we'd give with joyful hearts that you've provided for us, that you've provided so much more than physical possessions, you've provided grace your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you, God, and we need you so much. In your presence now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: How long have I been in this storm? So overwhelmed by the ocean's shapeless form. Water's Getting harder to tread with these waves crashing over my head. If I could just see you, everything will be alright. If I see you, this darkness will turn to light.